All right, if you have your Bibles, if you will, why don't you turn to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, the first chapter, the first chapter. Um, you can read in your Bible or you can follow along on the screen. Father, in the name of Jesus, how grateful we are to be here today. Thankful, Lord, for this Sunday and uh, the opportunity to worship and to celebrate you, the opportunity to focus our attention on you and, uh, and give you praise and thanks, to be grateful and, and to put our hearts before you, knowing that during this season uh, you are the reason why we celebrate And so, Lord, thank you for your blessings here this morning. We ask, O God, that now you would uh, anoint the word of God, that it goes forth, that it would puncture and pierce every heart, that, Lord, you would draw us closer to you by your grace. Uh, And may we leave this place uh, walking different, talking different, living different as a result of your word. And we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, everybody says, Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 46. And Mary said... My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. This morning I want to share a message with you I've entitled God Sees You. Um, We know that we're one week away from Christmas uh, hopefully, you've done most of your Christmas shopping. Uh, you've wrapped some presents and maybe put them under the tree. Um, maybe you're still stressed a little bit, waiting to get that one last present. Or maybe you're waiting and hoping that Amazon doesn't fail you now because you waited too long to order it, right? It's almost here. In the last few weeks, the last three weeks, we've been talking about the subject that let's talk about Jesus. And, and, and and I really believe that, that Christmas gives us that opportunity to do that, even more than, than Easter. Because, uh, you know, we celebrate Easter as, as the greatest, most powerful moment in the history of the world. In fact, that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. The fact that if Jesus is raised, then he is truth and what he says matters, right? But during the Christmas season, we really have that opportunity to talk about Jesus because it lasts so long. It goes on for so long. And there's so many gatherings and so many get-togethers and so many parties and so many Christmas songs. And and, and the world really gets involved during this time. So this gives us the opportunity to talk about the light of the world, talk about the reason for the season. And I really believe that Christmas is one of the most beautiful times of the year. Uh, as, As Christians, we have every reason in the world to celebrate. How many of you can say amen to that? We celebrate because we have experienced the power of of Christmas as Christ has literally become incarnate in our hearts. That he is not just incarnate in a manger, but those of us who have been born again, bought by the blood of Jesus, saved and redeemed, Christ has been incarnate in our hearts, born in our hearts. And so we have every reason in the world to celebrate. No matter how stressful this holiday is, no matter how materialized it's become, no matter how secular it's become, we still own the corner on Christmas. Right? 
And there are so many things that Christmas says to us that we can meditate on all year. Not just at Christmas time. It's a shame that the only time we talk about the manger or the only time we talk about Mary or the angels is during this period of time. But it's really the message of the gospel wrapped in a baby in swaddling clothes. But there's so many things we can think about, meditate on. Christmas says that God loves us more than we could ever realize. Christmas says that God is not a God who is afar off, untouched with our condition. Christmas tells us that God takes sin seriously. And Jesus paid an awful price for our forgiveness and redemption. It says that God is faithful to his promises and fulfills his word. And every prophetic word that he has spoken will come to pass because God is faithful. And this week I want to consider a wonderful thought revealed to us at Christmas time that maybe we don't always think about. And that is the reality that God sees you. Have you ever felt unseen? Maybe you've ever felt unseen in here before. Some of you have. Some of you are just too popular. You're always seen. Right? Have you ever felt like you're unnoticed? Just a number on a list? Just one person in a huge crowd? Right? Most of our lives, we're, we're, we can be known as a social security number or, or a plo- employee ID number or, or B22 at the DMV. Right? We're all just numbers. We've all just been signed something. We, we, we're known by some other way. I tried to, I tried, this, this past year, I tried to get my fishing license online. So I went in, put my information in, and it says, this information doesn't match. I'm like, well, I've done something wrong. Let me try again. So I went in, this information doesn't match. All right, so I called the phone number. I said, hey trying to get my fishing license online. It says nothing matches, but I, I promise you I'm putting everything right. All right, what's your name? What's your last name? What's your social security number? I gave my social security number, and there was a pause. That's not what we have for you. I'm like, what do you mean that's not what you have for me? That's not the social security number we have. I said, I promise you, I'm 50 years old. I've had that same social security number for 50 years. I said, I've been buying fishing licenses all my life. What do you mean that's not my number? I had to literally go to an office to fix this. I had to go to a physical place to fix the fact that they had a different social security number. I could have went out and broke all kinds of fishing laws and never got caught. They had the wrong social security number. That's right, it's a trap. We're always identified by certain numbers. Maybe you can feel that way when you're at work, right? You do a lot of stuff. You do, sometimes you do things behind the scenes. Maybe you don't get noticed. Maybe someone even gets credit for what you have done. Has that ever happened to you at work? You've done something. Somebody else gets the credit. You want to smack them in the back of the head, right? right? Maybe you don't get noticed. Maybe you don't get mentioned. Maybe you weren't in the email. Maybe they didn't give you the pat on the back. Maybe you didn't get the raise that you thought you should or the promotion that you thought you should. I'm a nobody. I'm unnoticed. Everybody's picking on me. I'm Charlie Brown. Like maybe some of you have felt this way at school, you know, you've worked hard, nobody notices, or maybe you've went out for a sport or you, or, or some type of extracurricular activity, you gave everything, you did, you did everything you could to the best, and they skipped over you, and they picked somebody else, and they didn't put you on the team, or they didn't put you in the ensemble because you didn't sing well enough, which might be a wake-up call for you because maybe you don't sing very good. It's like some of you, maybe you feel called to praise and worship, but you're called out there. 
You're not called up here. <laughs> Some of you, if we handed you the microphone, the Holy Spirit would literally walk out the back door. Even God's like, I can't listen to that. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. God listens to all of you. Right, but there's all these times in our lives where we feel like we get skipped over, unnoticed, unseen. Nobody noticed me. Nobody patted me on the back. Nobody told me, what a great job you did, buddy. Right? Nobody ever does that for you. And, and, and these situations can be hurtful. Hurtful, disappointing, discouraging. But honestly, there's nothing that would be more hurtful than when this happens in relationships. Right? I mean, people that you love, people that you are closest to are the ones that you want to notice you the most. But times, there are times that we all get taken for granted. We get taken for granted and our acts of love seem to go unseen. And if we're all honest, we've probably done this to ourselves, to, to other people in our lives. We've not been grateful for the sacrifices that people make for us. And when we're not grateful, when we don't see, when we don't acknowledge, when we don't notice, many times we make people feel unimportant. We make people feel like they don't matter. Or what they do doesn't matter. And you know as well as I do, it's hard many times to continue to love someone, to continue to serve someone when you never get acknowledged. Right? There's something very powerful about being seen when you're noticed, when you're acknowledged. It makes you feel loved. It makes you feel important. It makes you feel as though who you are and what you have done matters. And all of us in life want to have that as a definition of who we are, that what I do and who I am is important, that what I do and who I am matters to somebody. It matters to somebody. And I believe that this is a powerful underlying message that comes with the Christmas story. God sees us. This passage in Luke is the only New Testament psalm. It is literally a psalm sung by Mary. I don't know if Mary wrote it, I don't know if this is spontaneous worship, but it is poetic in her singing. It's a song of Mary known as the Magnificat or the Magnificat, depending on who says it, which is just a Latin word for magnify or glorify. It's part of what is known in Catholicism as the liturgy of hours in which the Magnificat is prayed every evening for Vespers. It's a song sung by Mary and after she's met with Elizabeth, who we know is the mother of John the Baptist, the Bible indicates that they are related. Cousins are the terms that we use, but many times in the Bible, cousins was just a term that was used as a connective, familiar term, uh, especially since Mary was of the tribe of Judah, and Elizabeth and Zechariah would have been of the tribe of Levi. But uh, John the Baptist and, and Jesus grow up knowing one another six months apart, and so Mary comes and sees Elizabeth, who's, who's pregnant with John the Baptist, and receives Elizabeth's blessing. You see this in the previous passages of Scripture in Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 42. And she spoke, this is Elizabeth, out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Look at, listen to prophetess Elizabeth here, right? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb. 
for joy. And blessed is she that, be- that believed. For there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. We recognize that Mary is responding in praise to Elizabeth's blessing upon her life. Mary has already uh, went through and seen and experienced so many things. The heavenly appearances, Gabriel coming to her and announcing the birth, and, and Mary in, in her humility and in her obedience and in her faith, says, Be it unto me according to your word, Lord. Even though I don't understand how you're doing this, even though it doesn't make any sense, be it unto me according to your word. Mary was a woman of faith. Mary was a woman of strength. Mary was a woman of power. Mary, Mary was a woman of humility. She walked in the courage of God, and she walked in the boldness of Christ. She's the same woman that at, at the wedding at the wedding at, at Cana of Galilee when, when the when the people came and said, "There's no there's no wine." They said, "Go tell Jesus." And Mary said, "Do whatever He tells you." Well, that's good advice, folks. That's pretty simple, good advice. When Jesus talks, do whatever He tells you. So Mary has seen so much. She's trying to understand and process things. Her and Joseph both. Obviously, Joseph having to be uh, told in a dream, hey, don't cast your wife out. Don't get rid of Mary. Don't, don't push her away because what I'm doing in her is from God, right? So Joseph had to experience some of the same stuff to stay committed to the miraculous plan of God. Elizabeth's response to her presence and, and then her accompanying blessing. You're blessed among women. Women, blessed is the fruit of your womb. Looks as though it almost caused Mary to just explode and burst into praise. All of this stuff had just been building up and building up and building up. And then Elizabeth comes along and prophesies over her and says, You're blessed and what's in your womb is blessed. And you stepped in the room, room and what's in my womb started leaping for joy. And who am I that you... The mother of my Lord would come and see me. Man, what an amazing event. And so Mary breaks forth into praise. Her praise is meant for God's exaltation, as well as her declaring of her finding her delight in Him. And then she sings of the faithfulness of God to all of Israel. And within this song, she makes a powerful declaration that points us to what we are considering today. She says, He hath regarded the lowest state of His handmaiden. He hath regarded the lowest state of His handmaiden. Mary sings in poetic form, God sees me. God sees me. Think about this moment for just a moment, for just a second, that Mary. As she's singing about the greatness and the faithfulness of God to the nation of Israel as a whole throughout history. That she's singing about the fulfillment of a promise that was given back in the Garden of Eden. That at this very moment, one of the greatest moments in the history of the world is about to take place. And there's a reason to rejoice for that. But in the middle of that, Mary says, in all of this, God sees me. God has regarded my Low estate. The English Standard Version says, He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. The NIV says, He has been mindful of the humble state of His servant. The New Century Version says, He has shown His concern for His humble servant girl. The Amplified says, For He has looked with loving care on the humble state of His maidservant. 
Mary rejoices in the greatness of God, the mighty works that he has done, the faithfulness of God in history toward his people. But in the middle of all of this, she recognizes that God has seen her. He has looked upon her. He has been mindful of her. He has shown his concern for his humble servant girl. His humble servant girl. And I believe that this is one of the powerful messages of Christmas. For centuries, folks, for centuries, the Jewish people had been praying and believing and waiting for the coming of the Messiah, a deliverer who would set all things right. I'm sure that there were times in the history of Judaism that the Jewish people wondered, had God forsaken them? Did God even notice them? Did God hear them? Did God see them? Did God even care? Did he take notice of their estate? God, do you see us? They had been through a a line of kingdoms that had kept them in bondage or kept them under tribute or kept them under their thumb. Starting all the way back with the the Assyrians and then then the Babylonian Empire and then the Medes and the Persians and then the Romans that had been ransacked and kept under for so many years. God, is there a possibility that you've forgotten us? From the prophet Malachi until the prophet John the Baptist was 400 years of silence. Silence. God, where are you? I'm not saying that things didn't happen between those times. They did. The Maccabee revolt took place. We we recognize that stuff took place in the intertestamental period. But up to that point, there was no prophet. There was no voice of God. There was no promise. All they had to hold on to is what God had said. And now, they're saying, God, do you see me? Do you notice me? Have you forsaken us? God, do you see me? And church, I believe Christmas answers that question with a resounding yes. God had not forgotten his promises. He had not forgotten his people. He saw them, he loved them, and he showed them that by the giving of Jesus Christ. On that first Christmas morning. Because when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. All of us will probably admit in here this morning that we've been in this place in our lives. Some of you may feel like you're there here this morning. We feel like God doesn't see us. That God seems to have not noticed where we are and what we are going through. Our hearts can be broken and hurt and weighed down with the cares of this life. We feel like the one who doesn't get picked on the playground. We feel like we are the outsider. It may even seem that others are being blessed, but your blessing can't seem to be found. Everywhere you look, it seems like what you put your hands on is falling apart. And down in the depths of your soul, down in the depths of your heart, you might be saying, God, do you not see me? Oh, you're coming to church with a smile on your face, singing the songs and shaking hands and saying, love you, brother, love you, sister. But down in the depths of your soul, there's a question rolling around. God, do you not see me? Do you not know what I'm going through? Do you not know what I'm facing? Have you not seen what's happening in my life? And church, the answer to that is yes. Yes, he does. Christmas tells us that he does. 
God sees you. God knows you. God loves you. You are not forgotten. You are not alone. You, you are his. And he paid the highest price for your soul. He is mindful of you and concerned with his humble servant. No matter what the world may say to you, no matter what the world may do to you, whether anyone ever notices you or ever cares, God sees you. You are important to him. You matter to him. And you are blessed by his favor. The fact that you are his child, the fact that his blood has been applied to your life means that you matter, that you are important, that you are seen. It reminds me, as we talk about this story of Christmas, it reminds me of God's fulfillment of his promises in the book of Exodus. We know that many things in the Old Testament were just a type, a picture, a sign that pointed forward to the work and the beauty and the wonder of Christ. We recognize that in the Exodus story, we see that that God is fulfilling promises that he's spoken to them. And in the Exodus story, we see Moses being a Christ-like figure, leading the people of Israel out of bondage and into the promised land, just as Jesus has redeemed us from our bondage to sin and led us into the promised land. Church, heaven's not the promised land, right? The promised land is when you're redeemed. Right now, you're living in the promised land if you're a part of, uh, of the family of God, right? Because there's no giants in heaven. Ain't nobody fighting wars in heaven, right? The promised land does sometimes have wars, fights, battles. You've got to stand your ground. But it's in the promised land that you see God's faithfulness and wonder and the beauty of his grace. In Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25, the Bible says, And it came to pass in process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage. And they cried, and their cry came unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. Folks, there's so many promises right here in this passage of Scripture. The Bible says that God heard. I want you to know this morning that if God sees you, you can know that he hears you. If God sees where you are and sees what you're going through, he also hears you. And you know what that means? That means your prayers are not powerless. Your prayers are not in vain. Your faith is not something to abandon or walk away from or give up on. God hears your cries. And even if you find yourself in a place right now that it seems like God's not working the way you want him to work, God answers prayer. There is nothing more powerful you can do as a child of God than to get on your knees in prayer before the Lord. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And it may seem like you've been praying forever, but pray one more time. It may seem like that you've taken so many steps, but take one more step. It may seem like you've been standing and believing forever. Believe one more time. Because God heard them. He heard them. And then the promise is that God remembered. God is a God of covenant, church. And he is a God who keeps covenant promises. You know what that means? That means he stakes his character. He stakes his nature. He puts his name on it. I will fulfill my promises because it is my character and my name to do so. God is a God of covenant-keeping promises. 
And so that lets us know he's not forgotten you. God has not forgotten what he has spoken over you. God will never forget his word for you. So every promise you stand on, every promise that you confess, God has not forgotten. God hears, God remembers, and God fulfills his promises. Then the Bible says that God looked. Man, this is so powerful to me. Because the people were sighing and groaning because of the bondage. And I don't blame them. I'd be sighing and groaning too. Right? Most of us don't even like getting up on Monday morning to go to our job. These guys were getting up every day and making bricks out of clay and dirt. But the Bible says that God looked. He didn't turn his face away when he heard their sighing and their moaning and their groaning. He did not ignore their cries. He did not decide to turn his attention to someplace else as if what he was hearing was not important to him. All of us have those people in our lives that when we're talking to them, we know they're not listening. Am I right? We all have those people in our lives that as we talk to them, we see the glazed look in their eyes. We see them looking out the window. We see them, the gears turning in their brain as they're thinking about what they're going to say next when you haven't even got done yet. Aren't you thankful that when you look to God, He's not doing this? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Right. Uh-huh. What? Have you ever had that happen? You just poured out your heart to somebody and they're going, did you say something? Right. Because they're right here. But boy, something's going on in there. And I'm grateful that God's not that way. Right? I'm grateful that God doesn't check out on me. When I'm sighing, and when I'm groaning, and when I'm hurting, and when I'm crying out to God, and when I'm looking to Him for help, and when I don't think I'm going to make it, and when I feel like I have failed, and I have disappointed God, and I've messed up, or I don't know how I'm going to get out of this problem, God doesn't turn His attention someplace else. God doesn't zone out. I'll never forget, I've told this story before. Charlene knows this story. We were teach, I was teaching over here, third and fourth grade. And I had a student that liked to zone out on me, right? And there was a uh, rubber ducky. I don't know how it got there. But there was a rubber ducky outside the window over here on the mountain, right? So I'm teaching, and I notice the student is not paying attention. So I looked at him, and I stopped, and I said his name. And all he said, without turning his head back to me, was, Duck. duck I didn't know if someone was about to throw something at me duck so John thought it would be funny next week to put a picture of a duck in the window God sees he looks he pays attention he doesn't zone out on me he hasn't checked out Caleb he hears you he sees you And the Bible says that God had respect unto them. God didn't just hear and see and do nothing about it, right? He didn't just sit around and say, look at what they're going through. I hear what they're doing, but my hands are tied. I can't do anything. He was concerned about his people. 
The English Standard Version of that part of the verse says, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Man, what a powerful promise. God knew. He knows what you're going through. And here's what's amazing. Not only does he know where you are right now, he knew before you got to your place of pain. He knew you before you got to your mess. He knew you before you got to your hurt. He knew you before you got there. But here's the even greater promise. He knows where he's leading you. God knows. God knows. The nation of Israel was in bondage because God prophesied it would be so to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. Because of the rebellion and turning away from God, they went into bondage. God knew before they got there where they were going. And God saw them when they were there. But the wonderful promise is, is God knows where he's leading you. God knows where he's taking you. God's promises are always fulfilled. The Message Bible says, God saw what was going on with Israel and God understood. Because God sees us, he understands. In the story of Hagar, we hear for the first time the name of the God who sees us. Those of you who may not know the story of Hagar, Hagar was Abraham's uh, maidservant, or actually Sarah's maidservant, Abraham's wife. And Sarah was barren and couldn't bring forth a child. And so basically Sarah said, you can marry Hagar and raise up a child with Hagar since I'm not able to give the child to you. And of course Hagar got pregnant and then Sarah gets jealous and, and uh, of course the, the underlying theme is, is that Hagar was a little bit obnoxious also um, and had made Sarah feel less than. But Sarah ends up running Hagar or, or being harsh to Hagar and Hagar runs away and Hagar's hiding out. It's not the first time obviously she leaves. Eventually she gets completely kicked out. But this time she runs away and, and she's, she's hiding in, in the wilderness and God comes to her and says, why are you here? Hagar, why are you here? How'd you get here? And she said, I'm running from my, my, my Lord. And in Genesis chapter 16, verse 13, the Bible says, And she called the name of the Lord that spoke unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that sees me? While she was out there running and hiding, God said, I will greatly multiply your descendants through the child Ishmael. Hagar received the revelation of the God who is known in the Hebrew language as El-Rohi, the God who sees. And here we are, Hagar, the forgotten one, the kicked out one, the one who feels like she has to run away. God was aware of Hagar. Now, he didn't promise a quick fix But the God who saw her in her present circumstance is the God who also sees the bigger picture outside the constraints of time. God sees, and so he is aware of what we're going through, even when we don't like where we are. Even when we don't like where we are, God sees where we are. Hagar did not like the place that she was in, but God said, Hagar, I have not forsaken you. Your descendants will be multiplied. And she said, you are the God who sees. I want you to know this morning, God sees you. And finally, if God sees us, that means that God provides for us. 
You guys know the story of Abraham and Isaac. God speaks to Abraham and says, take your son, your only son Isaac, and take him up on the mountain, and you're going to sacrifice him to me. So many things that we can learn about that story. Obviously, it's an odd story that God would command this. But Abraham, in his obedience, went. He took servants with him. When he gets to the bottom of the mountain, he tells the servants, you guys wait here while I and the lad go yonder and worship. They go up on the mountain. Isaac starts gathering sticks for the fire. And, of course, Isaac looks around and says, Hey, Dad, we've got the sticks. We've got everything prepared for the sacrifice. But where's the lamb? And Abraham says, God will provide himself a lamb. But he goes through with it. We know that the angel stops Abraham, and Abraham's faith is tested. He passes the test in his faithfulness to God in giving what was the most important part of his life, his son Isaac. And in that place, we see that God is called Jehovah Jireh. The Lord provides. But the phrase Jehovah Jireh does not just mean God who provides, but it also means the God who will see to it. (laughs) The God who will see to it. Abraham said, God will provide himself a lamb. He'll see to it. He'll take care of what I can't take care of. Because he sees me, he provides for me. God saw the condition of this sinful, fallen, hopeless world, and he provided salvation in the gift of of Jesus Christ. And you can be confident in your heart this morning that because God sees you in your circumstances, He will provide for you in the middle of it. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care how big the mess is. He is Jehovah Jireh. The God who sees and provides what you can't provide yourself. Mary sang a song of faith because God saw her. In that verse of scripture, the, marriage, the message Bible says, God took one good look at me and look what happened. I love that. God took one good look at me and then look what happened. Because God turned his awareness to, towards me. Because God turned his face towards me. He saw me. This humble, insignificant girl received the favor of the God of the universe. This girl that everybody else may have skipped over, she would not have been the one you would have picked. But God picked her anyway. God took one good look at me and look what happened. Her declaration of God lifting up the humble and bringing down the rich and bringing down the mighty reminds us that no one is insignificant to God. Your status in society is not what God looks at. We know that the Bible says that the Lord looks on the heart. That God's not looking at how much money you make or how popular you are or how good you can sing or how many talents or gifts that you have or how far your influence reaches. God chose the foolish things of the world that he might confound the wise. No matter how forgotten you may feel, no matter how hurt you may feel here this morning, no matter what you may have gone through in life, and I know during this Christmas season maybe you're going to have to go through some hurt some reminders of people missing in your life. The holidays can be heavy as times change, as life changes, as family dynamics change. I get it. 
Maybe your heart feels a little empty instead of joyful this year because you're sitting there thinking, does God see me? And I want you to know this morning, no matter how you feel, God sees you. And he's concerned about you. Christmas reminds us of a God who loves, who cares, who understands, who is mindful of us. Christmas says that God sees us. Be confident in this reality. I want to read this one last passage of scripture from Psalm 56, verse 8. This is in the New Living Translation. You keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. I want you to know that God sees every sorrow, every wandering, every toss, every turn. He collects every tear. He keeps track of every single one of them in his book. Your tears have not been looked over. Your brokenness has not been ignored. Your hurt, your fear, your anxieties, your uncertainties, God has not turned a deaf ear. He not only sees you, but he hears you. And in this, he provides joy and peace and hope and salvation. And this is the story of Christmas. That because God sees you, he's collected every tear, he's carried every sorrow, he's kept a record in his book, he knows where you are and where you're going. So be encouraged today to know God sees you. Bow your heads with me here this morning. We thank you, Father, for your faithfulness to us. We thank you for your grace, God. We thank you for the story of Christmas and what it means. We thank you, Lord, that you are true to your word and true to your promises. That, Lord, you never let us down. You never fail. You don't forsake us, abandon us in our failures and in our hurts. Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. We thank you, Lord, that as we celebrate the coming season of Christmas, we know that it is a promise that you fulfilled, that it is a promise that you will still fulfill every word that you have spoken. It is a promise that if there was a first advent, we know that there will be a second advent, that the king will come again and receive unto himself those who have bowed and surrendered to him. And I just pray here this morning, O God, that as we think about Christmas, we would be reminded maybe even in our hurt, maybe even in our loneliness, maybe even in our pain, that you see us, that you are a God who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities, that you know, that you understand, that you are concerned, that you are mindful of us. God, remind us today. Remind us that you are a God who remembers Remind us that you are a God who sees and hears, that you have looked upon our low estate, that you have exalted our hearts. Lord, we believe that you are good. We believe that your mercy endures forever. So capture every heart here this morning. 